Welcome to the Moves Room, everybody. It's just Brad and I today. Emily, Emily's been traveling everywhere. It's uh, it's a lot doing the ambiguous loss training, everything. So can't be here today, and we're gonna miss her. But but we're gonna we're gonna push through. We'll push through. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Exactly. I I did actually see her in person for once uh, last week at a at a conference. So it was good to see her. But yeah, she was you know speaking and running out the door because she had to get to another. Uh, another speaking uh, extension event so yeah she is busy yep and that's uh it's the life of uh, being an extension and i will be back to it when this comes out i guess it will be i'll be back to work tomorrow uh, yeah that that takes up a lot of time and travel it's fun i love traveling around the state but man it, yeah it could get stressful traveling that much and speaking all the time and my voice is out of practice for sure i spoke at a conference uh yesterday and yeah, I had uh, had to have the water bottle right there because my voice is, was tired immediately. And especially in the winter time, for people that don't really know what Minnesota winters are like, you know, it took me six hours one day last week to go 150 miles, which is normally about two and a half hours. So it more than doubled my time because of snow. And it's not easy, but uh, we keep going. We yeah. keep going. We make it work. Today, we're we're choosing... To, to get out of our winter mindset and look quite a ways into the future. And and Brad pointed out to me, it's actually not that far into the future where we're talking about getting ready for grazing season. And like Brad said that today, you could be seeding three months from now. That that puts you on, on a time crunch. You got to kind of have to know what you're doing and have a plan for what you're going to do. Well, I think three feet of snow on the ground, and I know it's hard to think about grazing, but it really comes down to we could be seeding. I've seeded pastures here in Morris in mid-April before, and it could happen. And so the idea is to be thinking about, you know, what your forage is going to be like this spring, summer, and even into fall uh, to have a plan because, yep, it'll creep up on you so fast. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I, I, I don't have any seed and we're not ready. And um there's a lot of implications related to that i know we're talking with brad who is a dairy guy but this is this is a beef topic 100 and this is something that we talked about when i had a chance to speak at this this conference that i was just at you know we we focus on a lot of different things especially as a veterinarian we focus on vaccines and treatments and all these things that seem to be really exciting and you get to use new products and all these things but most of our prevention and management comes back to nutrition, which when we're talking summer means grazing and grazing management. And and whether it's dairy or beef, cow-calf side of things, or even if you're a stalker, it comes back to grazing management and trying to get ahead of these things. And how do you do it? Are you going to implement an intensive rotation? How do you figure out water? All those things that we've talked about before. Today, I think we're going to get a little more into the nitty gritty of the forage side of things and pick Bradley's brain about some of the new things he's thinking about, what he's going to do up at Morris, what he thinks people can do because of the weather that's happened in certain areas of the state this year. So that's, I'm excited to hear maybe a little bit of repeat of some of the things we said before, but definitely a new take, different perspective on some of those things as well. Brad, give me a little background on why this topic even came up right now and why we're talking about it. So I've been meeting with a bunch of 
grazing dairy farmers for all oh, the last three, four months. We kind of get together every month or every six weeks and, and talk about some of the, the challenges that we're seeing, things that we would like to do, where we're going in the future. And even, you know, me as a, a researcher, it, it's humbling to hear a lot of the same things that we're seeing here in Morris that farmers are having challenges as well. So trying to be involved in that and obviously listen to, to those farmers and uh, get some good ideas about what's happening has really been uh, very interesting. And we, we met yesterday and, you know, we were talking about forages and nutrition um, because we're all thinking about the spring grazing season and summer forage needs and how that works into our operations. I, I think it's on everybody's mind because of feed costs. You know, feed costs are still really high. And we were talking about forages because some of us are are not feeding soybean meal in our at least in our organic dairy herds we're not feeding any soybean meal soybean meal organic is 12 to 1600 dollars a ton and it just doesn't pencil out and so that was a, a topic that came up yesterday too and so how do we improve our forages so we don't have to feed expensive feeds. You know, we, we use uh, some organic soybean meal for our calf grain, but other than that, we, we don't feed it and haven't fed it for three years. It is just, it is not cost effective. So that sort of stemmed a lot of the discussion that we had yesterday. Those groups are super valuable. And I, it's one of the biggest things that I miss about being in private practice is really feeling like I got to hear from a bunch of farmers every day. It's cool that you can get that perspective from both sides, both the the university dairy side, uh, and then from what I would say was the real world outside of the university system. <laughs> the university dairy is definitely in, in the most real world. I would say I'm fine saying this on the recording is that it's the most real world piece of the university animal system that I've that I've seen. Um, but it's still the university, which has both benefits and challenges. Yeah, we are definitely real world here and we experience the same things that a lot of farmers do day in and day out. So we are not immune to that. Yep, we are a little bit different, but we still have the same challenges. So what did you hear, Brad? What did you hear from farmers? Because I know you you asked them a couple of questions and one of them being, what's your biggest challenges with forages and grazing? What what did they have to say? A lot of it comes down to, you know, grass species uh, is a question and we can talk about those in a, in a minute. but one thing that came up the first question that we had was about alfalfa grass mixtures for either baleage or silage and why we might think about adding grass into the mixture. And some people are going to go, oh, yeah, well, I, I do that. And, you know, that that's kind of a no brainer. But I think there's still a lot of uh, people that that might not add grass into uh, an existing alfalfa stand because, well, we just make it alfalfa, pure alfalfa stand, and, and that's what we've always done. But it really got my mind thinking yesterday about why we might put some sort of grass mixtures into our alfalfa field. And it's really about chasing digestible forage and not necessarily protein. You know, what we had talked about yesterday was your typical you want to see in your forages is is the sort of 20, 30, 40 rule. You know, 20% crude protein, 30 ADF, and 40 NDF. But 
you know, we had a nutritionist with us there yesterday and he really challenged us to, to not necessarily think about those. We might think about NDFD 30, which is you can find on your feed test. And that's really the digestible fiber portion. And that's what we should be really thinking about when we're sort of deciding on what grass or alfalfa mixtures that we want to use in our field. I've always been taught, I've always heard, I've always heard from farmers is that protein is the focus. And we're really, really concerned about that. And and oftentimes coming from a little bit more of a beef background for me, we're we're super concerned about it because we're working with lower quality forages. So protein becomes a, a huge focal point. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it, you know, it comes down to sort of calculating the percent uh, or the the tonnage of digestible fiber in in the ration that you have and I need to write a, an extension article on this uh, at some point to drive home the the idea of that but we'll take pure alfalfa and if you think about on average here in Minnesota we get maybe three and a half tons per acre of, of dry matter alfalfa uh, and one acre of alfalfa is about 1260 pounds of digestible fiber, pure alfalfa. If you add four pounds of grass to that ration, now we bump up the digestible fiber to 18, almost 1900 tons of digestible fiber per acre. And that's just kind of using a little bit of maybe meadow fescue orchard grass into the mix. And and we can talk about Italian ryegrass, you know, that from a dairy perspective, that is like the the king. Um, and obviously there's lots of good things and bad things about using that up here in, in the upper Midwest. But if you put a, a little bit of Italian ryegrass in with your alfalfa, now you're producing way more digestible forage in that field than what you would just a, a little bit of maybe meadow fescue or orchard grass. So it really got me thinking about and maybe we need to put grass in our alfalfa. And we we don't do that here at our research center, you know, for our dairy herd. It's just straight alfalfa. Uh, so we're not adding grass to the mixture. So it really got me thinking about, man, how can I improve the forage digestibility and produce more forage per acre? You know, because we even our farm, other farms, you only have a certain amount of land. And trying to be able to maximize the production off that land is a key. So, yeah, it got me thinking about how to add some grass into the mix for that uh, alfalfa. When you're adding grass to this alfalfa, I guess we can start at the beginning. What what time of year? When do you do that? Well, it depends when you're when you're seeding. There's a couple different ways you could do that. Obviously, if you're establishing a new stand of of alfalfa, you can just add. You know, I think most people here four pounds of uh, grass, whether that's meadow fescue, orchard grass, that those are the popular. Some people use uh, tall fescue here in, in the Midwest. Some farms like tall fescue, some don't. Uh, maybe better from a, a beef perspective, but you just add that in into the seed box when you're planting and it, it will come up uh, with the alfalfa. You can also no-till and if you talk about alfalfa, maybe a thinning alfalfa stand, maybe you have some winter kill going on, and we might see some of that, at least here in, in the upper Midwest. You can maybe no-till some grass into that alfalfa stand in early April. And, you know, we had talked about Italian ryegrass, and 
I'm going to be on that Italian ryegrass kick because that got me thinking we've never used it here, but I'm going to try it. And you maybe put eight pounds uh, per acre uh, into a thinning alfalfa stand, and it just rejuvenates that that field for a year. Uh, Italian ryegrass is probably an annual uh, in the Midwest here. Some people have got it to overwinter. It just depends on the year. But And you can get a lot of forage, and it grows really fast in the spring. So for a, a thinning alfalfa stand, no-tilling some maybe Italian ryegrass into that would be ideal. And I, I think you're right, Brad. We are going to see some winter kill issues this year, especially in southern Minnesota, where there's been a decent amount of rain. We've lost some of that that snow cover. And, you know, I think some people played it safe and didn't take a fourth cutting and and are doing OK. Uh, and, and they're going to be fine. But but if you did and you, you went into winter with a pretty short stand, you're, you might be seeing that thinning and quite a bit of winter kill. Is this a viable option just to buy you a year to 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 no-till in some grass and to say, okay, we're this will get us by for this year and then we'll figure out what to do next year? Would would you prefer that sometimes to see how the alfalfa grows? Because you don't really know how how dead it is, or would you just say, all right, let's just start over? It it certainly can buy you uh, another year. It it's depends on what your crop rotation is and and what you're going to do but if if you need forage grass alfalfa it's probably a viable option to no-till some uh in this case italian ryegrass into that field to get that forage if you want to start all over you know you're going to have to plow it up and then it probably has to go to corn you know most here in the midwest it goes to corn after alfalfa so you you really need to think about what your forage needs are and do you want you know, say corn or, or corn silage, or do you want more grass for forage? So it, it certainly will buy you a year and you'll get a lot of good forage, uh, especially in the early spring and, and late fall. It's going to buy you a year to really think about what to do. And then maybe in the fall, you you uh, plow it up and, and go to cover crops or, or corn the next year. So I, I think it's a good viable option to be thinking about that, uh, especially this year. Instead of going, oh man, I need, I really need some grass and I really need some forage and I don't really want to go to corn. Uh, so I think it's a, a good option to think about. I don't want to get too long on this episode, but there is something on this list that really piqued my interest. And I know we haven't talked about it. And, and that is utilizing natives for forages. And, <laughs> and I'm curious how that discussion went to farmers and your thoughts on it and why we don't see it more often. It all comes down to forage quality. And, you know, when you think about it from a grazing standpoint, timing of grazing, some people, we, we think about natives, maybe big blue stem or some of the other uh, forbs uh, that we typically don't see in, in pastures as much in the upper Midwest. There is a, a chance to graze those. They're, they tend to be later maturing and not being able to graze those right away in say May or June, but it certainly gives you an option to do that. And, and maybe from a, you know, a beef standpoint, it, it might be a little bit better. The forage quality is maybe not as high. Protein is certainly lower in, in natives uh, when, when you're grazing them, but it certainly gives you diversity in, in your pasture. And I think that's probably the key in all of this is, is having a, a diverse pasture that's resilient and able to withstand high rain events or drought events or 
grazing by maybe you got too many animals. Uh, so I think natives do play a role in that. I don't think you can bet the whole farm on them, but I think, uh, you know, it all works within a rotation as well. And it, it's an interesting topic. And from a dairy perspective, people are always apprehensive to try natives because, you know, the protein's lower, the, you know, they just sometimes perceive it to be straw out there. And, and that's not the case. That's not the case. So I, I think there there's a role for those to play. So when you say later maturing, how late and, and when when does the timing work out? If you were going to have natives, when would you be grazing them that, to get the most out of them? You know, certainly on a, on a native standpoint, you're probably grazing those in July, uh, August, uh, when when they're a little bit more mature. A lot of them tend to be more warm season grasses uh, in, you know, they're we think about the upper Midwest, they're prairie plants, and uh, they came on in the summertime uh, when it got hot. So you're going to be grazing them later. So if you're uh, thinking about relying on grazing natives in May and June for a dairy herd, it, it's not going to work. It, it won't do it. So uh, there, there are certainly summer grasses to think about, and they can certainly fit into the rotation. That we, We've had some big blue stem pastures here in, in, in Morris, and you just graze them in July and August uh, when they're later. So it, for a dairy, it, it, you know, there's thought process that goes behind that. It certainly works for beef rotations too and summer grazing. So do you get any regrowth on that, that you can, you can come back to a little later? Yes and no. You know, I, I think sometimes those, uh, if you graze them hard enough, they don't really grow back, not to the, you know, pr productivity that you would based on a first grazing. So it's it's a little bit less. Yeah, I always think about extending the grazing season because I think that's one of the most valuable things we can do, whether that's dairy or beef. And I know you and I have talked about that a lot where you really take pride in in being able to get that grazing season extended as long as you can. And that's the same for the beef. You know, we hear about about stockpiling forages and 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 trying to uh, mob graze that late in the year. And yeah, when I hear anything, anytime I hear something later maturing, but still valuable, I always think, well, how late can we go? And can we get regrowth and everything like that? But I know that's something you probably talked about with, with your focus group is extending the grazing season. What did you hear? Did you hear anything new that we, we haven't talked about before or you hadn't heard before? Yeah, it, it was an interesting thing, you know, and we, we talk about maybe either extending the grazing season or, or getting forage later on in the season. And some of it had to do with like cover crops and maybe they're grazing cover crops. One was talking about winter rye. Obviously, that's that's the the king, uh, at least for for the cover crops here in the in Minnesota. And the idea was you harvest the cover crop, you know, either graze it or for silage in you know around Memorial Day, so the end of May, early June, and then you maybe have a manure application to to get some fertility on that. And then we were talking about forage sorghum and planting a forage sorghum into the mix. And it's a, you know, a really, it's a long day uh, sorghum. Digestibility is really high. If we think about NDFD30, it's about 65. So it's really uh, highly digestible. And then the idea is to harvest it just after the a, a freeze, a freeze up. So, you know, maybe September, even into October. So you can, Yep, you you can graze forage sorghum. It's it's probably easier to harvest it, but you can graze both. 
And so the idea is to sort of maximize forage for your land. So that was kind of an interesting thing for me to to try was, yeah, maybe. And I've done sorghum sedan grass after rye for grazing, but maybe it's like, oh, maybe I try a forage sorghum and try to maximize our forage needs as well, because this will grow, you know, eight to 12 feet tall by October and, and you can harvest it for typically silage, not necessarily as much for baleage. So it was kind of a, a different perspective to think about. And some people were going to try forage sorghum as well. So I thought, well, maybe we might try that and, and see if on, on small pieces of, you know, maybe a eight acre field or something where we can just kind of take a look at it and see what it does. Whenever sorghum comes up, my, my immediate question is why not corn? Why forage sorghum and not corn? Well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the at the beginning is all about trying to maximize the digestible forage per acre of land. And forage sorghum is really digestible, you know, high NDFD. So you can get a lot more digestible forage from forage sorghum than you can if you're going to plant corn for corn silage. So that's really why why we're thinking about forage sorghum instead of corn is it's all about digestible forage and trying to maximize digestibility for forage rations. Perfect. All right. We kind of bounced around and covered all sorts of different topics, but I think they're good things to be thinking about, especially if you're worried about winter kill with alfalfa. There's a lot of options out there. I hope you talk to uh, your agronomist and your nutritionist and get them to talk to each other, which can be a challenge sometimes. And then, of course, if you have questions, comments, scathing rebuttals for us, you can email the mooseroom at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Feel free to get in touch with us. If I don't know, I will absolutely forward it on to Bradley. And then if neither of us know, we'll check in with M. And then if none of us know, we'll figure out who to talk to. I'm going to cut the plugs there because Emily's not here. She's way better at it. And we've been talking long enough. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye.